Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Friday, December 8th starts now. Today on the show for Oh What a Week, Ben welcomes back a man who knows how to speak his mind, legal advocate Adolfo Mondragon. The Ben Jarofsky Show is a presentation of the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. If you want to know, if you want to know what to do, where to go, what to eat, what to drink, you need to head to ChicagoReader.com. You can find out all that and a whole lot more. And if you want more Ben Jarofsky, head to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. I'll spell it for you. That's J-O-R-A-V is in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this the Architect Made Me Do It Friday, and here's why. Uh, actually, it's Oh, What a Week, and my distinguished guest is Adolfo Mondragon, election lawyer, lawyer in general, uh, extraordinaire, proud graduate of the University of Chicago Law School, and proud graduate of Yale, ever heard of it, and uh, we'll probably, uh, I don't know, we may talk to universities uh, at some segment in this show, I'm looking forward to that conversation, but of course, uh, uh, if, if Adolfo's on, we're going to be talking a little Ed Burke, and uh, Ed Burke, let me just explain this and the significance of the architect made me do it opening, so Ed Burke, as you all know, is on trial for corruption, various shakedown allegations by the feds. And also, as you also know, and as I will never tire of reminding you of Chicagoans, Ed Burke for years and years and years was the finance committee chair, the most powerful position in the city council, oversaw the expenditures of millions and millions of dollars in TIF deals and budgets, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, and again, uh, in the infinite wisdom of the two mayors that you love to reelect, and elect uh, Chicago. That would be Mayor Richard M. Daley and uh, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, two of your finest moments in democracy, Chicago voters. Uh, Ed, uh, Richard Daley uh, and Rahm Emanuel looked at the 50 members of the city council and said to themselves, the most important position in this city council should be held by this man, Ed Burke. <laughs> Heck of a job, Richard M. Daley. Uh, and Rahm Emanuel. And of course, while he was doing this, he was running a property tax appeal business where he lowers the assessment of his clients so that uh, Adolfo pays more or I pay more or you pay more. So you suckers and saps were electing mayors who were embracing Burke, enabling him to use his position of power on the finance chair to lower the property taxes of rich people like Johnny Trump. And raise your taxes. This was the finance chair, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry. Every time I say it, I just blows my mind. This is what passes for uh, reform in the city of Chicago, right? Because didn't Rahm Emanuel say, we're going to clean up this city? I'm coming in. Okay. What's the word they always say? Transparent. It's going to be so transparent. Yeah. You know what? It's transparent. 
that you're a freaking fraud. That's what's transparent. Anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go on that riff. So Ed Burke's in this corruption trial. Uh, and he's essentially accused of shaking down uh, the operator of a Burger King, which is just a detail that always blows my mind. And this gentleman needed a parking. He needed some kind of permit, uh, various permits from the city of Chicago to expand his business. And Ed Burke was like, uh, I'll give you that permit or I'll, I'll rubber stamp it if you hire my firm to handle your property taxes. Well, on the stand yesterday, uh, Ed Burke's attorneys, they're all bulldogs, man. I wouldn't want to be on the stand against any of those guys, okay? They're coming at this, some architect, uh, and they were basically, the gist of their conversation was uh, that it was his fault. <laughs> Somehow or other, he didn't get the proper permits from the city of Chicago. He overlooked uh, the, the permits he had to get. Uh, and as a result, uh, that is why uh, there were delays on uh, constructing uh, the Burger King renovation. Uh, and it wasn't delays brought on by Ed Burke trying to shake him down. No, no, no. He was the architect's fault. I've heard many excuses in my life, but blaming the architect is an interesting one. We'll see if the jury falls for it. Uh, and, uh, you know, if the jury is independent-minded, I don't think they'll fall for it. But if the jury is anything like the voters of the city of Chicago, they'll be like, oh, sounds good to me. I loved it when Richard Daly was mayor to city of Chicago. All right, I'm going to bring on Adolfo Mondragon, uh, who a dear friend of mine, dear friend of the show. Uh, and uh, not only is he a lawyer extraordinaire, but at one point he worked for Ed Burke, so he was in the belly of the beast. He knows <laughs> the beast better than anyone. So welcome back, Connor. Welcome back, Adolfo, number one. Thanks, uh, Ben. And uh, we have a lot to discuss with the Ed Burke update. So on any level, are you falling for the defense attorney's assertion that it's the architect's fault? He's the reason. <laughs> Are you falling for it? No, it's, uh, I think I've used this expression with you before, but it's what uh, an attorney, I think it was a guy named Ira Goldman who worked at the uh, Legal Assistance Foundation years ago. He moved to DC and I think is doing good work over there. But he remember, remember him telling me that some attorney's uh, job is to make uh, chicken salad out of chicken shit. And that's exactly what's going on here. They're making chicken salad out of chicken shit. <laughs> I ain't eating that chicken salad. <laughs> oh but the chicken God. salad is not tasting very good in our mouths because <laughs> basically these dudes are getting paid like $1,500 an hour. Okay. And they have no defense. And so they're, they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're doing whatever they can to misdirect and, uh, and and show Burke that they're that they're doing their job, that all the money that he's used campaign finance money for to pay for them, is uh, is worth it. Now yeah, it's it's a weak, it's a weak ass argument, you know. Yeah. And uh, it, it you know it's it's a it's a shame because these are high tier, high caliber attorneys, but they're reduced to making stupid ass arguments like that. It's yeah. incredible. Well, I'll tell you, I, did we talk about the mistrial one yet? That was my favorite, my absolute favorite. Were you on the oh, show? Oh, yeah, no, no. We talked about it personally, but I, not, not on the show yet. Uh, okay. So my absolute favorite moment uh, so far, the Ed Burke trial, uh, which ties up so many different things, uh, mo mostly about the gullibility of Chicago uh, voters to me. I'll, it's always near and dear, a subject near and dear to my heart. We have democracy, <laughs> folks, and we're so bad at using it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, anyway, um, so the Sun-Times lead was uh, Ed Burke's corruption trial, 
Okay. He's on trial <laughs> for corruption. <laughs> okay. Oh, the bright one. They put that. I don't think they call it a corruption trial anymore. I think they Did they put like a, a, a winking emoji or something uh, no, at the headline. <laughs> that would be like wink wink corruption wink wink. Wink. Yeah. So one of the witnesses in the trial. Uh, testified under cross-examination, or under examination, I think it was the uh, witness for uh, the prosecutor, so it was direct examination, uh, that uh, when she, when uh, he or she heard about Burke trying to get some developer to hire his firm, uh, he, thought it, he, he thought it was corruption. Immediately, up from his seat, hopped uh, one of Ed Burke's criminal defense lawyers, uh, who's getting paid, as uh, Dunfo said, uh, a hefty salary, good for you, uh, and uh, said, that is an outrageous, that is going to bias the attorney. I move for a mistrial. You cannot call this practice corrupt, even though this is a corruption trial. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and thankfully, the judge, she made everybody file motions and stuff. Uh, a, a lot of waste of time, but uh, she ruled against uh, the um, the appeal. Oh, no, yeah, thankfully. Appeal. And you're right. She didn't need to make them, uh, you know, motion, uh, brief it out, but they're being so careful. It's just like with Trump. They have to be so careful, these judges, you know, like impeccable, show them that they had beyond a fair trial. They almost had a perfect trial because if not, they're, you know, there's going to be, uh, you know, leeway to criticize any little move that they, that misstep or whatever. Well, like Trump, now in Trump's case, uh, I mean, he's more or less sort of uh, suggesting that there could be direct retribution. You know, he's right. I mean, and even, it, and it, even it, then, the judge has been the one uh, in New York has been, you know, he could be much harsher. He could, I would have already put Trump in jail, to tell you the truth, for contempt. But, you know, they wait, have to, you, wait, hold it, hold it. If you were the federal judge overseeing Donnie Trump's. Uh, the state judge in New York, the one that's right, dealing with state those, judge in New York. Well, there's also the federal judge in Washington yeah. uh, who's had to deal with this issue on the insurrection trial. All right, let, we'll then say the state judge. If you were Judge Mondragon uh, from New York City and Donald Trump was a defendant in your courtroom on business fraud, uh, and now they're in the, the stages of the trial where they're setting uh, the penalty, and Donald Trump is is sending out all kinds of nasty messages that are leading to threats against the oh, judge yeah. and the judge's clerk. I lock his ass up. I put him in a weekend into jail and be like, think about what you're doing, motherfucker. You want to go for more time? Let's do it. <laughs> oh, hey, man. Judge you know, it's one, these, it's one of these concepts where, like, uh, not not quite, but there's a concept that where, uh, where the, the, um, the inmate has his own keys. If he shuts the fuck up, he could get out of jail, right? He has to basically think about it for the weekend and like, hey, you want to keep going? We'll keep sending you back into the cooler, man. You know, who is that judge, man? Uh, you and I both loved him. Oh, well, Al Pacino played the part in the movie and it was the world's worst oh, Puerto Rican uh, actress. Torres, judge Torres in New York, the one who wrote uh, Carlito's Way. Is that what he's yes, talking about? Yes, Carlito's Way, man. Great book. Way better than the movie, in my humble opinion. Carlito's right, Way. But, the, but the judge played the, the federal judge in the movie. That was him, the author. Yes, Judge Torres. So how would Judge Torres handle this? And Judge Torres was tough. He come from the street. Yeah, Harlem, man. He didn't play. I don't know, man. I don't know Judge Torres, but I think based on, uh, I think he would have put Donnie's ass in jail for like a week, and I would have been like, it's Friday. Sit your ass till Monday in jail. See what happens. Oh my lord! You know, MAGA would go nuts. 
Yeah, you know, Brent, but whatever. You... you know, he'd be in a separate cell and, you know, whatever, but he'd have to sit in there and shit in the fucking toilet like everybody else with the with no cover and everything. Instead of his gold, his nice gold fucking toilet, he'd have to, you know, go to the can in the can. Damn, you're a tough judge. But I think Judge Torres would be like, yeah. Well, like I'd be because... tough. I'd be tough where it's required to be tough. Because this dude, come on, you're making threats yeah. like that. And and what is it called? The term doxing or doxing? Yes, doxing. doxing. All right, so what is okay? So we uh, we just reviewed what Donald Trump, the judge of the Donald Trump, is facing the consequences, you know, threats uh, from MAGA, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of threats uh, on the internet, etc. So right, forth. well, most people are just you know they're trying they're, basically they're trying to build a record for an appeal yeah. because if you're a good trial, see appeals are only as good as any uh, errors that you raised at the trial, so. If you're a good trial lawyer, then your job is to make a record for your appellate attorney who's going to take over the case when you make the appeals. Because if you don't object and you don't put it on the record, then it's not an issue for appeal. You have waived it. Right. And so what they're doing is because they have nothing to hold their hand on, they're thinking like, oh, the next payday is the appeal. And hopefully we can get this judge <laughs> and hopefully we can get the judge to stay the sentencing yeah. or whatever. While the appeal, like like with Trump, you know, where they stay everything until the, everything gets appealed or whatever, uh, which generally 99% of the time does not happen for defendants. But for special defendants, it does, you know, like like Juicy Smollett, which we'll be talking in a bit. We'll talk about um, yeah. But uh, but but yeah, they're they're basically building a record for an appeal because they know they have a they know they have a losing case. Yeah. You know, you're not these attorneys are smart. And they've they've litigated enough cases where they know where there's a winner and where they're with you know a case that is is a fucking loser and this is a fucking loser but they're making their payday and they're you know yeah. they're building a record that's what they're doing so yeah it's come on a mistrial because the guy described a practice in his own opinion as being corrupt in a corruption case come on get the fuck out of here. <laughs> But I think it may have worked with the Sun Times. I don't think they've called it a corruption trial since. Like, look, in trouble. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a corruption trial, ladies and gentlemen. In my briefs, in my briefs in the case, the uh, campaign financing case against Danny Solis's uh, uh, um, uh, campaign uh, um, committee, uh, I called it. I called it a, a corruption case throughout the whole thing. You know, yeah. it's just like. That was the whole point of my my appeal that you can't use this money when you're accused of corruption. And the judges at the Supreme Court were like, "Yeah, this is a corruption case. Come on, dude, it's common sense." Yeah. All right. Well, now let's move on to Danny Solis. Um, so Danny Solis, just to re- remind folks, maybe they're listening for the first time, Danny Solis uh, is a former alderman, longstanding alderman of the Twenty Fifth Ward, and an ally of Burke. Uh, and the fact totem to two mayors, Mayor Daly, the aforementioned Mayor Richard M. Daly, and the aforementioned Rahm Emanuel. Uh, and in, uh, <laughs> you remember, <laughs> folks, how Daly and Rahm looked at the city council and tried to determine who would be best suited for a finance share. And they came up uh, with this guy running the property tax appeal business, Burke, and you, the voters, who went along with it. Well, in the case of Danny Solis, Rahm Emanuel surveyed all the candidates in the city council. Who could be in charge of zoning? Who would be the best qualified to handle the really complex zoning issues that we face? How do we use our land? And to be fair about it and not be biased and not be corrupt in any way, who would have that record to do that? And he decided 
of the 50 people in the city council, Danny Solis would be best student. <laughs> well, Danny did something. We're not quite sure what he did exactly. But that that forced though an encounter with the feds. And the feds said, look, Danny, we can come at hard at you with our prosecution, or you can wear this wire and go after Ed Burke and Mike Madigan. And Danny goes, hmm, I'll have to think about that. Let's fit that wire right now. <laughs> That's your city council, ladies and gentlemen. That's your mayor, Ron, that you love so much, Chicago. So, um, all right. So Danny wore the wire, gathered the evidence. I'd say he's done a public service and a statue should be erected in his honor for doing more to clean up corruption in Chicago than anyone. I've argued this. Oh, please. Come on. It's just like uh, the Chris Rock joke says, oh, I take my kids to the playground. You're supposed to. You're fucking dad. This guy was supposed to be good. Not bad, dude. You don't give him an award for being a fucking rat. But anyway. Okay, rat of the year. You got to be sub. It's one of the three greatest well, yeah, rats. Okay, rat of the, the year. Time. I like that. Rat of the year. Okay. So now the issue is, uh, will he testify? And the feds didn't bring him to the stand, uh, but Burke's lawyers are threatening to bring him to the stand. Your thoughts, Adolfo, on bringing Danny Solis to the stand and what we can expect. Go ahead. Well, I think that there's pluses and minuses, obviously, what the first question I have is why didn't the prosecution have Danny, you know, I mean, they introduced all of the tapes that he um, recorded. Why not have him go on the stand and explain to people because he was basically acting as a co-conspirator here, explain to him what his thought process was every time he had a conversation with Burke. Why have the guy from Burger King tell you, well, what did you feel? Did you feel that you were being pressured? That's legit, but why, but why not ask the dude who was helping put the pressure, <laughs> go out there and be like, so what was your understanding, you know, when you're talking through all this stuff, based on your 20-some years, 30-some years of knowing Ed Burke and dealing with him on other matters and your life experience dealing in the city council and doing the Chicago way and all of this other stuff, based on your experience, when you're talking to this man and you're talking about these deals, what was your understanding? What was the, uh, the understanding that is not on the tape? Why wouldn't you have him uh, say that? Unless you're afraid that Danny's going to chicken shit his way out of <laughs> trying to look, make everything look bad and trying to find some kind of middle ground where he could still think that he's helping the prosecution, but at the same time kind of mitigating the responses and the effect that they'll have on, on Burke. Because it's a tough thing to sit there and look at the guy across. That's why we have this clause in the Constitution, the Confrontation Clause. When you're a defendant in a criminal trial, you have the right to look in the eye of your accuser. And in fact, there's been even cases about whether or not it has to be in person or through TV or whatever. Because there's something about sitting in the same room, looking at the person that you're accusing, and actually saying the thing. Particularly when you were like you know, a buddy of them or or somebody who, like, was complicit in a lot of the things that you're talking about. So you don't know what Danny's going to say up there. I think that that's what maybe the prosecution is thinking. Like, well, if we put Danny, we have to do a cost-benefit analysis. His testimony about, like, what his impressions were and what his understanding of these conversations is, is going to be very powerful. But what if this motherfucker goes on the stand and, you know, he's been sucking Brooks dick all his life. And then all of a sudden he looks at him and he's like, oh, I can't go. I can't do my boy bad this way. I'm going to temper everything I say. And like, 
try to find some kind of lukewarm answer for all the questions and make the prosecution look like shit. And, uh, but still say that, oh yeah, but I was still helping them walk, you know, because Danny could go up there and then they'll ask him, well, what, what were your thoughts? What were you thinking? Well, I don't know. I taped it for you. You, you're the judge of that, mm. you know, and uh, that's going to put the prosecution's uh, case down the fucking toilet. So there's always the risk that your witness is going to go soft on their answers. And it le- the fact that he's not, that Danny is not testifying. Because he's the star witness, right? Why just leave his videos speak for themselves? Why not add that um, that commentary from him and saying, like, you were in that room with him. This is what you captured on video. What is your understanding? What is the underlying, the silent conversation happening here between you and Burke? Based on your experience dealing with this man, based on what then you took your orders and went and did for him, what was your understanding? Was it just... Basically, like we're trying to get this guy a permit, or was it no? This is linked to the business, and so that question makes it, uh, you know, makes me believe that maybe Danny is, maybe they've been prepping him, and he's been lukewarm on stuff. I don't know, but on the defense side, that if you call Danny, what if, uh, and you know, now you have to treat him as an adverse witness because he's not on your side. Which gives you a little leeway in terms of question. You could use um, leading questions, you know, instead of open-ended questions with him. But there's also the other danger, right? What if you go hard on Danny and then Danny fucking all of a sudden gets, you know, like, all like, no, I'm a hero. And then starts jamming into Burke's case. So it's really interesting. Um, but because Burke's case is basically shit. Maybe it's worth gambling and bringing in Danny and being rough on him and seeing, okay, does he, does this guy, you know, you got to know if you know Danny, if you're Burke and you know Danny Solis, you got to, you, you must know like if he's a coward or if he's like somebody who's like, you know, stands up and like, will will speak the truth or whatever. And if, if, if they gauge that Danny is weak and he'll, he'll get weak knees on that stand, fuck it, bring him in. I would love for personally, I would love to see Danny on the stand. Yeah. I, even, if with... blo- even if he blows up the prosecution's case, fuck it. I'd like to see what that whole spectacle is all about. Well, that's a great analysis uh, because, in my humble opinion, that's exactly the issues at stake here. And I, I, I don't see any downside. And again, I'm no, I always have to say this I'm no attorney, never been an <laughs> attorney. All I've done is watch a lot of TV shows about attorneys and talk to a, a ton of attorneys over, over the years and read a lot of John Grisham novels. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, and Michael Connelly novels. Oh man. I love Michael Connelly. Okay. Anyway, Benny, I bestow an honorary JD on you. you I, I deserve what all the <laughs> legal novels, Perry Mason, Michael <laughs> Connelly. Come on, man. Uh, so having said all that, um, I see no downside to Ed Burke's calling uh, Danny Solis. So what you really have to ask yourself is, is Danny Solis going to be like Michael Cohen, who was uh, the um, who testified against Trump? He was in Trump's inner circle, uh, and he paid for it. He, he went to the he went to prison, uh, and now he's coming strong against Trump, and he lets the world know. Right, right. Uh, he is not. I'm not. I'm not backing down. I, I want this man to go to. I went to prison. This man's going to prison. Okay. Or will Danny Solis? I can't remember the dude's name. But this is one of Adolfo's favorite movies, Godfather 2. And they had a witness <laughs> ready to testify against Michael Corleone. Oh, yeah, Pentangeli. Yeah, and they brought Frankie his brother. Frankie Five Angels. Yeah, and they remember they brought his brother into the... Uh, yeah, they brought his brother in. And then what happened? 
he changed his mind right yeah, on the gone. fucking spot. And yeah. that could happen with Danny. He goes in that room and he looks at Burke and Burke looks right back at him and he's like, you motherfucker. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> Danny, like a little pussy, starts <laughs> lukewarming his answers, you know? Yeah, I could see. Like, well, I don't know. He just told me to. I, I was curious about why he would ask me that, but I, I'm not really sure why. Yeah, you know, can, I mean, anything like that. Yeah, and uh, and then he, you know, he he would lose his status as Rat of the Year. Okay, <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I, I mean, uh, would that be an? I mean, you know, uh, when they put if they put uh, Danny Solis on on the stand, Burke's lawyers will make Danny Solis uh, the bad guy, the villain, because they'll they'll make they'll say, oh, you admitted to doing this and you admitted to doing that and you admitted to absolutely, doing, you know, and you know, you will have to talk about, you know, that there was an incentive for him to go on. You'll have to be open about it. And they'll they'll bring on all the shit. So so they had you on fucking trading political favors for Viagra pills for getting hand jobs. They're going to bring all of that shit up to muddy his ass up. Uh, all right. So uh, they have that. That could be as soon as next week. Uh, yeah, I think, I think, I think for, the article you sent me today yeah. said that the prosecution is resting on Monday. Yeah. And then there's over the backdrop, which is an interesting thing where uh, it has really nothing to do with guilt or innocence. Uh, but there's a, a strong possibility this case will go on beyond Christmas. And, man, that's going to make sour to jurors, you know what I mean, to, to miss yeah. Christmas. Uh, I don't know what the rules are. Because the thing is, is, like, even if they don't have a trial during Christmas Day, if they're if you're still in the middle of the trial and then they're, right. they're imploring you, don't talk to your family and friends about the trial at the Christmas dinner and, you know, some big mouth is going, you know, uh, I think he's guilty. <laughs> you know, that's going to happen. You just think about it. any uh, family dinner you ever had with some big mouth at the table, just opines. So Benny, what are the odds that we, uh, if you were a bookmaker, what are the odds that uh, the prosecution calls Danny Solis? The prosecution or the defense? I mean the defense. I'm sorry. Okay, uh, I am not a bookmaker. Do not make any bets on what I'm about <laughs> to say. Okay, if you do, it's your fault. I have nothing to do with it. I urge you. I think they're definitely going to do it. I think they're going to do it. I think if we, uh, the next time you come on the show, we'll be talking about Danny Solis's testimony. I can't. Wouldn't that be something though? That would be. I would fucking love to be there live to see that shit. You know. Well, it is going to be recorded. It, it's going to be the big event. Uh, uh, of the year, but yes, I'm gonna. What do you think? Yes or no? Are they gonna make him? Uh, are they gonna call him? Yeah, I, you know, I, like you said, at this point, why the fuck not? You know, you're right. Why the fuck not call him? Because look, you're in a losing case anyway. So, fuck it. Why? 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 The, there's only an upside to it. You could only make Danny look bad. If he looks good, well, then you're fucked because the videos already did that, right? The videos pretty much fucked you. But so yeah, I would. Um, but again, that decision, uh, you know, would have to go to Burke, and yeah. I, you know, and, and I just want to point out before we move on, uh, and you could go listen to the past interviews, recordings. Adolfo was the lawyer who who went to court. Uh, Byron Sixto Lopez was his client who went to court to try to get the state of Illinois to keep Danny Solis from using his campaign money uh, to fund his criminal defense payments to his lawyers. So Adolfo. Uh, did not prevail on that issue with Danny Solis, but as Adolfo will point out, and as Jim Coogan pointed out the last time he was on his show, on on his show, 
that the judges agree with the basic principle that you raise. That a person, right. a politician who's indicted, uh, should not be able to use campaign funds to pay for criminal defense lawyers. And so if you follow that logic, then uh, Ed Burke should not be, be able to use. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that he should. But, you know, no one is brave enough to file a formal complaint against him. No, right? And so. I'll tell you, and it's the state of Illinois. So, ladies and gentlemen, not only did the uh, mayors that you elected year after year think that Ed Burke was the best person to be the finance chair, uh, but Ed Burke and his, uh, uh, his position as Democratic uh, committeeman uh, was uh, sort of oversaw the process of putting judges in getting judges, judicial candidates, a Democratic uh, support. And so he's responsible for a lot of judges that have their jobs uh, one way or the other. They owe their uh, their start, at least to him. And his wife was a state Supreme Court justice. Anbrook. This is your city, Chicago. <laughs> and Anbrook shows up every day, uh, sits right behind Ed Burke. So, yes. It's a very powerful man, uh, very powerful man indeed. All right, uh, now let's move on uh, to Brighton Park. Uh, well, Adolfo <laughs> lives in Brighton Park. Uh, and so the central question here is, uh, am I, Ben Jarofsky, too much of a wimp? Okay, and so now I'll lay it out and then you can answer the question. Okay. So um, Adolfo grew up on the rough and tough streets of Chicago. I grew up in the really soft easy streets. Of <laughs> All right. And as such, I have, I've always maintained this, but people go, where are you from? I go, I will never say I'm from Chicago because Evanston is so different in so many ways, particularly back in the day, Evanston, it's probably still very, very different uh, than Chicago. Just everything about it is different. Okay. <laughs> and so one thing uh, is that I believe as an Evanstonian who grew up in the suburbs, that if you're going to put housing uh, on a former uh, a lot that used to be a smelt operation and is uh, filled with toxic chemicals or is polluted by toxic chemicals, you should not be allowed to do that uh, until uh, you've completely remediated the lot. You've gotten rid of all the chemicals. That's a very Evanston, North Shore, liberal, humanitarian point of view. Apparently, the point of view in the city of Chicago is a little different point of view in the city of Chicago's God, what a wuss you are, Ben. You don't need to get, everything's polluted. Man, let's just put like six inches of gravel on there and call it a day, man. And that, that's the position of people in the city of Chicago. Just, it's just immigrants anyway, Ben. Stop, you know, okay, just shut up. You got to go back to Evanston, all right, with your little wimpy ways. So that's the attitude, okay? That They're just Putting a little six inches of gravel on that lot in Brighton Park right down the street from yours is good enough. And then put a tent on it, and that six inches will protect any kid from any mercury or lead uh, that's on that lot. I oppose it. I know that I'm just an Evanstonian, a wimpy North Shore liberal, but that's where, I'm, that's where I come from. You're from the tough streets of Chicago, Adolfo. Am I being too wimpy? Go. No. I mean, I think everybody deserves... Deserves even even uh, immigrants from Venezuela that are you know hoping to win an asylum case to be able to live in this country deserve to uh, be protected from uh, health hazards. I mean that's just common sense. The 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 you know the the shame of this is that we have this supposedly woke mayor that I voted for, who should have known if he didn't know right should have known that this this 
particular lot had environmental problems going back years. Apparently, a school was once planned to be there, and they shot that down. A park shot that down. I mean, as our uh, our friend uh, Frankie Avila has been on the on the news lately, saying about you know the environmental thing. Um, they've known this since Riaz was the uh, was the alderman back in the in the in Brighton Park when it was part of the twelve the twelfth ward. So um, no, you're not you're you're being a human being with a heart, dude. That's what it is. It, you know the 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 hypocrisy of this is that all these anti-immigrant motherfuckers get to hang their hat on this environmental argument and also say like, you see, you see, you shouldn't have built this shit here because poor Venezuelans they're gonna you know they're gonna get cancer or something and shit. When in fact, you know, it's just a pretext for just you know the fact that they don't want them there for other reasons, not because they care so much about their health. Um, but you know. <laughs> Thank goodness Pritzker stood up and said something because, you know, outside of the fact that he hasn't really done much shit about this immigration issue, at least he stepped up for this because this mayor, can you believe it? This mayor that I voted for was about to be like, yeah, just put some fucking gravel on that shit, rub some dirt on it. It'll go away. It's fucking incredible, man. (laughs) It's fucking up left and right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I voted for this man. I advocated for this man, but man, He's fucking shit up. Now, Wait. I'm not saying like Lori Lightfoot's like, oh, everybody's been telling me that they miss me. I don't miss Lori. Fuck Lori. But Brandon's got to fucking level up, as they say. He's got to level up, level up, man, because he's fucking behind the curve. And those 100-day honeymoon uh, days are over. Yeah. He's got to step up and do a far better job. And this issue, he's been fucking up left and right from both sides of the aisle, man. Uh, and uh, so... I think you voted for. Did you vote for him twice? Uh, I did. You voted for him in the first yeah, round. Yeah, I was from the outset, man. I was like, and I, man, let's, let's and, do it. And I kind of feel responsible for it because I feel like I recommended him to you. I think I was the one who said, "Oh, Dolph is a good guy." No, I think our, our mutual friend Byron Cisco Lopez was also, okay. you know, uh, on 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 his side. Now, now, look, if I have to vote again. <laughs> because the options were so fucking horrible, Vallis and fucking Chewy. Jeez. You know, I'd vote for Brandon again because I still have hope that he will fucking wake up and deal with the shit. But right now, man, he is he's behind the curve. And he's the the shame of it is is that it gives these conservatives, these Vallis folks, the MAGA crew, such ammunition to feed into a stereotype about minorities not being capable enough to do the job at high levels and um which is not true but he's feeding into that because he's giving them grains of salt that they could you know fucking use no they bet the mag the, the Vallis maga crowd it is so hypocritical absolutely <laughs> hypocritical they look the other way all this environmental damage happened while they're what, their guy daily their guy daily was running the show okay Every, <laughs> the city blue bag program i'm not gonna go on and on about daily oh my god the, the 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 lead in the pipes in, the, in our water system yeah. all because of mayor daily's decision to keep the pipe fitters uh you know the union uh working with the with their you know their ability to put those pipes in so and then going to rom same thing Rom got rid of the environmental uh, department in City Hall. So absolute disregard for whatever consequences uh, that pollutants had on the lives of people in Chicago was the city way. 
under Daly and Rom. And you're right. The utter stench of hypocrisy coming from the Vallis crowd and the Maggard crowd sobbing about the health concerns for Venezuelan folks who would be living in it. It's just disgusting. Uh, and so I would proudly vote for Brandon Johnson again over Paul Vallis because that's just utter hypocrisy. I can't take it. And he wouldn't have right. done anything uh Absolutely. So I would vote again for Brandon, but what I but I'm not afraid to say, brother is fucking up. He's got he's got to level up. He's got to level up. Yeah, no, I I would agree with you, particularly with uh, uh, this Brighton Park situation. Uh, and uh, I I always say I've said it again and again, uh, the issue of dealing uh, with uh, immigrants coming to Chicago is a three prong. <laughs> you could blame it on three parties, and I just feel it cannot say this enough we have a democratic mayor we have a democratic governor we have a democratic president the -hmm. fact that they did not get together mayor johnson's been the mayor since may the busloads were coming in six months before him lori lightfoot checked out she stopped being mayor after she lost let's be honest (laughs) you know what i'm saying i'm out of here the hell with you guys you're gonna you're gonna miss me (laughs) yeah (laughs) you're gonna check out man you're gonna miss me all (laughs) right and uh so she checked out, but it's been whatever. I mean, she hasn't been the mayor since May. So let's just push back, you know, on, on her. But it should have been those big three. They want to have the convention here. Deal with this. Get some housing going and put some Chicago people to work doing it. I can't Absolutely. say that enough. You, got, you need help. You need to go to the state. You need to go to the federal government and be like, hey, we need yeah. help. Help us out. Yeah. And you said it the last time when... Uh, uh, you should be like Abraham Lincoln when he when he wanted to get what was it the Thirteenth Amendment passed? You know, oh right, yeah, uh, he yeah. wanted to get support for like Emancipation Proclamation. No, the, not the Emancipation. I Emancipation Proclamation was literally the, a pro- and the Fourteenth and Fifteenth yeah. Amendment. There yeah, but amendment. my point is that he wanted to get the sentiment so that he could go out and roll out all of that shit. Yeah, and he was like, "Grease whoever the fuck you have to grease, but let's get this shit done." Yeah, you know that's when you that's when you need to pork barrel. You know, yeah. That's... You look, you know, look at all the dumb ideas that Chicago greased through. Okay, I mean right. the parking meter deal. You know, they oh. got thirty five aldermen to sit up like, you know, <laughs> seals like in the dogs. circus. Like yeah, Lovian dogs just fucking <laughs> here. You go. Now all of a sudden the city council has turned into the the Athenian body of democracy. We must discuss <laughs> In every way, before we build a, ho- a house. <laughs> okay. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you're a piece of work, Chicago. You are a piece of work. All right, let's move on to, uh, you already mentioned it, Jesse Smollett, or as Dave uh, Chappelle likes to call him, Juicy Smollett. Uh, and it has been a while since we obsessively talked about him. This is, of course, the case, if you've forgotten, and I know you haven't, uh, where a... Um, a TV show uh, star, I guess, uh, was in Chicago and he manufactured a case uh, where he was beat up by uh, MAGA people. Uh, oh, my God. I'm just going through the case itself is staggering because it's so bizarre and twisted. Uh, anyway, uh, he thought he had a deal uh, to plea to some kind of minor crime uh, charge with state's attorney Kim Fox uh, and not get any kind of uh, serious punishment uh, to community service. Uh, and then because he was bragging about it so much, 
his deal and acting like he did nothing wrong. He really irritated the powers that be in this time. Really rubbed it in their face, Adolfo. Uh, and this was a chance for MAGA to go beat up Kim Fox. And so they took oh. it. Let's be honest. That was planned. Yeah. And Rom was going along with it, Chicago. Your boy Rom that you love so much. He was going along with it, too. Uh, and remember as he was leaving office, I am outraged. I'm shocked, you know, like, uh, and so, uh, one thing led to another, oh my God, they brought in Dan Webb to do a special prosecution, you know, the tribune just like was foaming at the mouth to get rid of Kim Fox. Uh, and, uh, they finally convicted him in front of a jury, uh, Jesse Smollett. And he has argued, uh, that it's unfair. It amounts to double jeopardy the case against him. He lost two to one uh, when it came before an appellate judge, a former alderman for Adrena Lyle ruling him. And I'm going to tell you with him, and I'm going to say this at the risk of losing all my liberal friends uh, and the, uh, the we hate Kim Fox crowd. I'm with Regina Lyle 100%. It is double jeopardy. Uh, and they should have stood by. They should have just stayed with the agreement, uh, no matter how embarrassing uh, Jesse Smollett is. That's my position. Adolfo, your turn to respond. Yeah, all right. So as a former appellate defender and as basically a civil libertarian, and uh, um, I, yeah, I, I have to agree with the dissent in that a deal is a deal. And it was bargained for. There was a quid pro quo. And once you make that deal, you're you're stuck with it. Um, so so yeah, I think that as as much of a hard pill as it is to swallow, uh, because most case, most case law that comes out of criminal law are situations that are hard to swallow. I often talk, tell people that Miranda, for example, your Miranda rights, which are judge created. The Republic, you know, the conservatives are right, are judge created. They're not in the Constitution, but they emanate from what they call the penumbras of the Constitution, uh, come from a very ugly case. If I remember correctly, Miranda was uh, like a, a rapist, a kid rapist. And the court said, you know, like his rights, um, uh, he had certain rights and the uh the conviction was based uh, upon the infringement of those rights. And so they come, you generally, these rules come out of ugly cases where people who are not sympathetic get a break because they're the ones who got fucked over. But the idea is that it, you have to establish these rules because one day it may be you who are sitting there in the defendant's seat and it's your life that's in jeopardy. And, and you're being railroaded and fucked because you don't have this right. So anytime there's something uh, like this, that uh, a decision in favor, uh, a pro-defendant kind of rule, I, I tend to be in favor. Now, that being said, there is a little part inside of me that kind of says, well, in reality, pragmatically, how many indigent defendants going through 26th Street in the criminal system are ever going to get the kind of sweet deal that Juicy Smollett got with this nole prosequi, which I will not prosecute, is basically what nole, nole prosequi means. Deal. And bargain for it. Not many. So if this is going to set a precedent, will it really help out any indigent defendants out there in the future who 
I don't know that many will face a, a situation like this where they will get a sweet deal that the government agrees to, and then they try to rescind. So while I like the fact that it's a very pro-defendant um, opinion and the dissent, um, then I think there's a little bit of me that says, but is this like Miranda, where it's going to help me one day? When the, 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 you know, when, when prosecutors are trying to, or a police officer is trying to fuck me over, you know, who I'm, I'm a good standing citizen or, or some indigent person running through 26th street, is it going to help them? Like Miranda helps everybody. Or is this case going to set a precedent for no one because no one is ever going to be offered the sweet deal that juicy small like off. Yeah. So there is a little bit inside me that says, yeah, it's it's very pro-defendant, and that's good in and of itself, but will there ever be an indigent that's going to benefit yeah. from this rule? You know? And I, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and by the way, it's just so you know, the appellate court ruled against the position that uh, yeah. Dolph and I have taken. So we're citing a, a dissent that was authored by Virginia Lyle, the former alderman of the Sixth, or alderwoman of the Sixth Ward. Uh, so just so everybody understands, uh, the appellate court ruled against Smollett, and he's talking about bringing it to the Supremes uh, and that the, of Illinois, and that would settle it once and for all. Uh, and in terms of Miranda, I just felt compelled. It's a little history lesson, ladies and gentlemen. So I went right here's from the Wikipedia page. Uh, Ernesto Arturo Miranda was an American laborer whose criminal conviction of kidnapping, rape, and armed robbery charges based on his confession under police interrogation was set aside in the landmark U.S. Supreme Court, Miranda versus Arizona, which ruled that criminal suspects must be informed of their right against self-incrimination and their right to consult with an attorney before being questioned by police. This warning is now known as a Miranda warning. After the Supreme Court decision invalidated Miranda's initial conviction, the state of Arizona tried him again. At the second trial, with his confession excluded from evidence, he was convicted and sentenced to 20 to 30 years in prison. On January 31st, 1976, Miranda was stabbed to death in Phoenix, Arizona. A Mexican man, Perez, was charged with the murder of Miranda, but fled to Mexico and has never been located. So that's... Right. Uh, so I often say that... Good, these good rules often come from very ugly, complicated situations, you know, but they're the right thing to do ultimately, because not only was it the right thing to do for Miranda, because he did ultimately get convicted when yeah. they did it the right way. But more importantly, it has helped numerous of people since then um, who faced themselves in a tough situation where they were pressured, as we know, cops for many, many years, decades have used tactics that have uh, unfairly pressured people into blaming themselves for a crime that they didn't commit. And so, so a lot of these good rules often come from very, very difficult cases. And it's kind of the same here with Juicy, right? It's like, dude, we all know the motherfucker, you know, did this whole thing for publicity or whatever, and he's getting away with it in a sense that maybe his just desserts, you know, deserved more time in jail or something. But for whatever reason, he got this sweet deal. And once the prosecution entered into that deal, and they're the prosecutors, they're the ones with the leverage, right? So if they enter into this thing with their eyes wide open, they should be bound by it. And I agree with that. Mm -hmm. I just ask myself, 
in practical terms, will this ever help out somebody in a bind in the future? Probably not. But in and of itself, the fact that um, that it is pro-defendant, I think, outweighs any of my concerns about whether or not it's ever going to help somebody out in the future. As, as you can see, and, and the theme of this conversation is Dolph, as Dolph is a civil libertarian, and uh, that'll be in play in our last uh, conversation. I will just say, uh, just to sort of uh, the ultimate irony of uh, Miranda, his life, and the case uh, that bears his name, or the, uh, the ruling that bears his name, decision that bears his name. Uh, he died. Uh, we'll close this up. Uh, this is from the Wikipedia article. Uh, on January 31st, 1976, a fight erupted in a bar in downtown Phoenix in which Miranda was stabbed. He was pronounced dead on arrival at the hospital. Uh, Miranda was buried uh, in the city of Mesa Cemetery. Uh, the person suspected of handing the knife to the man who murdered Miranda invoked his Miranda rights and refused to talk to police. <laughs> he was released and not charged in Miranda's murder. I will just allow that. Yeah, full circle, again. right? No? Full circle. Full circle, indeed. All right, we're going to, uh, I think we've, yes, we're going to close with a little conversation about what went down in Congress the other day. Uh, and uh, yeah. Uh, who indeed talk about uh, hot button, controversial, and very touchy subjects, right? Yeah. So uh, involving <clears throat> a whole array of uh, political characters, uh, including uh, Congressman Stefanik from uh, New York, who, just so everybody knows, uh, was a moderate Republican of uh, like a George W. Bush or Daddy Bush Republican, and has now gone full MAGA, big time supporter of Donald Trump. Uh, and uh, so she uh, was uh, at a hearing at the uh, Congress uh, to look into uh, allegations of anti-Semitism uh, that are going on in college campuses throughout the country. Uh, and as such, three uh, presidents were called to testify. Uh, one president from MIT, one president from Harvard, uh, and another president from the University of Pennsylvania, which is an Ivy League school in Philadelphia. So these are three of the most prestigious universities in America. Uh, Adolfo's beloved Yale was not representative, nor was his <laughs> not, not as much beloved University of Chicago. Uh, they weren't represented. I do not know why. It doesn't matter, really. But those three universities were, and they had three presidents lined up. Uh, and they were asked point blank, if in their humble opinion, this is by Congresswoman Stefanik. In their humble opinion, would it be bullying uh, and a violation of their code, their university's code against bullying and harassment, uh, if a student uh, at one of their universities uh, called for the genocide of Jews? Uh, and instead of saying yes, which would be, in my humble opinion, the logical answer to that question, uh, they basically said, I mean, I have to laugh because to me, it was just a classic case of the lawyering up of America. And I think two of them may be lawyers, uh, Adolfo, but everybody. I think that like, sounds right. I think that sounds right. Yeah. If you've ever interviewed uh, Adolfo, if you've ever been on the other side of the table and interviewed a politician who's ducking and dodging and they'll go <laughs> and they won't just say something, you know, and it's frustrating. Uh, and uh, there is a legitimate counterpunch to the question. 
And there is a legitimate, in my humble opinion, First Amendment free expression conversation to be held at this point. Absolutely, without regard, across the board. And I would say it should be going on right now in law schools throughout the country. But the way they handle it was so bad. You know what I'm saying? Just, just say, yes, it's outrageous. And it's a hill I would die on. However, and then you can go, if, if you want to have a follow-up about uh, due process rights, you know, what constitutes a legitimate threat or a real threat, you know, what is political language, uh, you can have that conversation. That's right. my thoughts on it. Your thoughts go. No, I, I I agree with you, Ben. I think um, they those three witnesses for the universities did themselves a disservice and probably fucked up their fundraising big time because um, they were thinking too much like a lawyer and not enough like a regular person and not using much common sense because the answer absolutely, even though that is a very leading question, you know, is that bullying, right? Um, because there's context and there's all sorts of other issues, like you said, that, that you, you could go deeper on in terms of expression, whatever. But the answer is always yes. And anybody who says that is a fucking asshole. And, you know, and, and no one should be advocating for the genocide of anybody, particularly a group that historically has been fucking persecuted through, through time. Uh, and, and place and uh and yes yeah, so they they were bullying uh but you're right there's obviously it's like i was telling you off of uh, uh on the telephone before the the this podcast is that the first thing you learn in, in law school is that the answer to anything is it depends there's always <laughs> two sides and as an and as a lawyer you're supposed to be able to argue the the right side and the left side and um that's the answer to, to, to legal questions. It depends who's paying you. What's the issue? What, you know, what setting is it in? Uh, you know, who is involved? Blah, blah, blah. It all depends on all of that shit. And in the real world, there's also, it depends. And there are there due process rights to the people who were saying this, you know, because famously there was a case here in, in, in Illinois in the seventies, a uh, freedom of speech case. Of course that involved government action. This is involves universities, which are private institutions, but famously said that the Nazis had a right to march in Skokie, right? So there is this idea that even if you're an asshole, you can have an outlet for your ideas in this marketplace. Now, in universities, it's a bit different because there are private institutions and you could have different rules, right? You're not the government because they could go on, you know, you could always go to the sidewalk and, and, and sit on your soapbox or whatever. But, um, but 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 yes, it's more complicated than that when you when you uh, pierce the surface of the issue. But but what you say in Congress in front of everybody is you say, yeah, it's it's bullying, and anybody who says that is a fucking asshole, and that's not the kind of person that we want at our university. And uh, if they want to go on a soapbox and and go to the public park and spout their hate, they're free to do that. But they shouldn't be bullying fucking students in an environment where we're fostering community and all this other shit. That's what you say. Uh, yeah. And uh, by the way, so yes, the three universities whose presidents were testifying in Congress are, are private universities, but this is also an issue that affects public institutions as well. Though, So oh, those, right. three, those three particular institutions are private. So just so, so people know, I, um, I mean, 
there's a whole legal discussion that follows this. I agree. Well, we are in total agreement on the initial point. So let's move beyond that and get to this second point, uh, which I, I just assume some people will find really upsetting because um, that's where we are right now. Uh, and um, But I remember, uh, Adolfo, it was several years ago, uh, there was a march. I think it was in Humble Park. Don't quote me where the march was. They called it the Dyke March. Uh, and there was a group of lesbians that were marching. Uh, and uh, there was one person that had an Israeli flag. Uh, and they were waving it. They wanted to bring it on the march. Uh, and there was outrage over that by uh, other people in the march. who said that this, the sight of the Israeli flag was very triggering and upset, upsetting to them because of the, uh, the way the occupation uh, that existed and the imprisonment of Palestinians and the, the loss of their land, that the Israelis stole the land from the Palestinians. And so the, just seeing that Israeli flag was very triggering. And I believe that the, they told the, the people to take the flag down. That's my memory. Uh, yeah, at, the, at any event, there was, uh, uh, it was uh, opposition to it. Fast forward, I just saw this article today uh, before we went on the air, Block Club. Uh, there's a woman who lives in Logan Square who, uh, in support with Palestinians who are under siege in Gaza, put a Palestinian flag outside of her apartment. And the landlord ordered her to take the flag down. Uh, and if she didn't take it down, uh, he would begin eviction proceedings. And I believe he has pre- uh, begun conviction, eviction proceedings. And he shows the language in the... Um, uh, in the, uh, the, lease. the lease that enables him to evict her. And, I mean, it looks pretty good. looks like he's got a strong case to evict her. Now, I ask you, civil libertarian, like, was it wrong to tell uh, the woman with the Israeli flag that she couldn't fly her Israeli flag? And is it wrong to tell, similarly, it's, is it wrong to tell the renter in Logan Square, she can't fly her flag. If you're a civil libertarian, your answer is the same in each instance, no matter what your political view is, no matter if you are a supporter of Israel or if you're a fierce opponent to Israel and a supporter of Palestinian rights. Your answer as a civil libertarian should be the same. But this is my point, Adolfo, and it's never, there are so few legit civil libertarians. Everybody Uh just uses it as a tool in their little fight, a weapon in their fight. Do you follow what I'm saying? So they're for civil liberties, liberties when it's something they believe in and against it when it's something they oppose. Your thoughts? No, absolutely. If you're a civil libertarian, even if you're not an like, absolutist freedom of speech person, you, you know the idea exists that you counter hate speech with, uh, you counter speech with speech. There's a marketplace. You leave it up to the individuals. Someone is arguing one side. You have the right to argue the other side. Someone puts a flag of Israel and it triggers you. Then you put up a flag of whatever to counter that speech or change the minds of other individuals. Right. And so you're in our society. We don't go to blows over differences of opinions like that. We're supposed to educate people and use speech to counter speech. Right. So that's why. The Nazis had a right to go to Skokie, even though I don't think that they ultimately did. If I remember correctly, my history, they marched somewhere else. 
No, I think they did. I think I was wrong about this way. I'm going to look it up while you're talking, but I think they did actually march in Skokie. But go in ahead. Skokie, I thought it was maybe in the city in some park or something like that. But in whatever the case, the point is that you're right. If you, if you truly believe in the freedom of expression, the freedom of speech, and that that is a strength to a democracy, uh, then both cases you should be there supporting the individuals who are putting up, even if. Because famously, civil libertarians on the Supreme Court and otherwise have said that I may, what is the famous quote? I may not agree with what you say, but I will die defending your right to say it. And if you truly believe in that, then your answer should be the same in both instances. And you should support the speech, even if you don't agree with it. Uh, Because now it's very different because threats, speech used as threats or to defame individuals are not protected. That there is, there, there are some people who believe absolutely in any speech being protected in any, whether pu- public or private. But there are, you know, like the famous, you know, you can't yell fire in the in the in a in a theater, right? Because that will uh instigate a riot and uh people will die, etc. Right? Uh stampede. Um you can't use speech to threaten people and say, motherfucker, I'm going to kill you right now. I'm going to beat your ass. That is assault, right? That is verbal assault. You can't use speech uh, to defame people, to say lies about you that you know are lies. You can't do that. You could be, you could, you would have to uh, go to court and answer for that monetarily um, because you could destroy a person's life by lying about an individual, about aspects of their life. Right? So, depends so depending on how you use the speech right there are instances but if you are just merely expressing an idea as grotesque as it may be if you believe in the exchange of ideas and and the freedom for you to say to have a right also to say something then you should be uh the same answer should be on both sides and you should be standing because um the way you deal with uh hateful and disgusting grotesque speech is by countering it and enlightening people and showing them why that is wrong. Yeah. And, and not uh, coming to blows or 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 prohibiting somebody from having that ability to express themselves in that fashion. Because yeah. there's certainly legal ways of expressing yourself, but we're not talking about those instances. Yeah. And um so you know, it's uh in principle, I completely agree with everything you're saying, although I do know. As a human being, certain things trigger me. It's tough. It's tough, dude. Things hit personally. And like these, you know, uh, young kids are now saying that they're triggered. You know, for us older people, it's just like, that just pisses the fuck me the fuck up, right? I mean, and you have a right also to feel offended and to feel what you feel because of your personal experiences. But it ends in the point where you start acting violently or, or you start usurping somebody else's ability to do something peacefully peacefully right yeah at that point you just got to grin and bear it because life you know life is about shit that's not you know not everything in life that you're going to encounter through life is gonna is gonna be appealing to you and that you will be offended by things and you have to have a thick enough skin to be able to deal with it that's yeah. just life that is life it's tough trust me it is tough uh, it's it's a very tough indeed. Uh, so, uh, do you think that the the tenant has a right uh, to fly a, a Palestinian flag, uh, even though uh, the um, uh, her landlord says she doesn't? 
I always say this: if if the neighbor has a right to put a Chicago Bears flag up, and the other neighbor has a right to put a Chicago flag up, and the other neighbor has a right to put a Barcelona AC flag up, and another person has a right to put uh, whatever other flag, then this individual has a right to put a Palestinian yeah. flag. And uh, now the issue then becomes: uh, did uh, have other people uh, put up flags like those? Do you follow what I'm saying? I mean, I walk through the city of Chicago, I see all kinds of Cub flags and. Uh, you know, uh, during football season, University of Michigan flags, et cetera, and so forth, right. Notre Dame flags. So I see all that stuff, but those are private homes, somebody's home. So then right, you have right, right, right. an apartment that you're renting that you don't own. And this is this is Hamatrack in uh, Michigan. Uh, this was, We talked about this issue last year where the, the city council uh, passed a resolution saying no uh, no flags should be, will be flown except for the local town flag and the United States flag and I think a POW flag because uh, it was really aimed at a gay rights flag uh, at Pride Day. It was essentially right. a, a tight gay movement, uh, and, but they were saying, they were arguing. And I wonder how they would deal with this issue. Uh, you know what I'm saying? How uh, they would deal with this? Right. Well, when you get the government involved making any kind of bans, that's when you're, that's when it's very suspicious. But, you know, you, the government doesn't like uh, under the constitution. Any type of ban is not a good place to start from, particularly when it's government action. But you know, like you said, in terms of this private building with uh, you know, people who are leasing units, yeah. Then you look at the context of it. Has somebody else put a gay pride flag up before? Right, because legitimately perhaps that offends some ultra right Christian who doesn't believe in, you know, somebody being homosexual or expressing themselves in that way. I disagree completely with it, but I mean, I know in reality, there are people around the world walking with that idea, right. Of life. So yeah, it would depend if it's a right that is extended to others, then yeah, this woman has a right to put it up. Yeah, no. And the language, uh, again, of the article, black club article, shout out the black club. Uh, the language they quote is is against any kind of flag. Doesn't mention whether it's any kind of gay rights, bears, anything. You know, cubs, no matter any and kind of flag. Even, you know, you, you gotta like also think about like this woman with the the Palestinian flag. There are other <clears throat> there are other forces that will 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 uh, you know. So let's say this person puts the flag up, whatever the flag is, and it and it it it. It triggers individuals living in the building. Well, one, you know that the lease will come to an end at some point. So at that point, the landlord could say, like, you know what? I'm not going to, and it's legitimate. I'm not going to renew your lease for whatever reason because my other tenants are upset with you. So it will end at that point. Or maybe if the other neighbors are vociferous enough and tell this person, like, you motherfucker, blah, 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 it will put peer pressure or whatever to put this person to take it down. There are other ways that you could civilly do to eventually resolve this issue, right? This person will either have to move somewhere else or someone will convince them to take it down or someone will pressure them because they have to live with everybody else and say like, man, maybe this wasn't a smart idea in this particular building. So it's not like it's the end of the world. It will be resolved one way or the other, right? Uh, well, one thing that hasn't been resolved that's... Uh tangentially related to all this and we'll close with this is trump's name on that building that hasn't been resolved uh -huh. he's been allowed to put that name on his building right and uh, i know that triggers me yeah so. it triggers me every time i say it uh and he he's allowed to do that and this is the part that really triggers me 
ladies and gentlemen, while he has that name on his building, which is so upsetting to so many people in Chicago, uh, and therefore you could argue lowers the value of that building because who would want to rent space, a commercial space in a building with Trump's name on it while he's got that going on he's going before the uh, cook county assessor's office uh saying you have to lower my uh assessments uh, on my building because i can't find any commercial renters yeah you can't find any commercial renters because you got the (laughs) trump name on it and you know those dummies at the assessor's office they're like oh good he's got a good point (laughs) in chicago you guys we're gonna Close where we began. You will bend over backwards to help powerful people, but you'll never hurt. Uh, anyway, don't get me started. They see I'm triggered. All right. I'm triggered. All right, uh, Adolfo, always a blast talking to you. Adolfo Mondragon, uh, dear friend of mine, dear friend of the show. Uh, have a so great we'll weekend. We'll see you next week if Danny Solis takes the stand. That will be incredible. Oh, you are happens. coming back. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Adolfo coverage will be around. We'll do around the clock if Danny comes on. Because this guy, oh my God, Danny Solis, what a character he is. And if he goes on the stand, that's the gift that keeps this Trump, this Burke trial is the gift that keeps giving, you know, <laughs> Adolfo it exposes so much about Chicago. All right. Very good. Adolfo Mondragon is his name. Also want to thank producer Chris. He does an outstanding job. And I know that Danny Solis, Ed Burke and Adolfo, they, they agree on one thing. You should Chris, give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Peace and love everybody. And remember, you can always catch up on previous Ben Jarofsky shows. Get Benny J bonus interviews, check out columns from Ben Jarofsky, sign up for the Reader newsletter, all at chicagoreader.com. And the best part, it's free. You don't have to spend a nickel. So head to chicagoreader.com, find out all that, spend some time, enjoy yourself, peruse, and then make sure you follow Ben Jarofsky on Instagram at Benny J Show. And if you would, please like and subscribe to the Ben Jarofsky Show on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.